0: are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at 2 ww.ax2orlando.com. Thank you very much. Good morning. good morning. Man, that's good stuff. I like doing that. You guys enjoy that, praying over people like that? Well, we're not done. We're going to do that some more today. I really feel like it would be a good thing for us to do that, just to encourage each other. I think... We've turned church, Western church, into something that it really shouldn't be, where we've made it all about the message, um, when really it's about the interaction, it's about God showing up and encountering people. And the older I get, and the more I walk with the Lord, the more I realize there's only one thing I want in life, it's for me, myself and others to encounter God. Yes. That's it. How many want to encounter God? Yes. Yeah, hold your hands out like this. Yeah, yeah, just right there. Just clear your mind of all the junk, all the stuff that's just whirling around in there and just say, God, I want to encounter you. I want to touch you. I want to look you in the face. Kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. It's all encounter. Man, you feel that? Doesn't that feel good? Jesus, he loves you so much. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yeah. It's like when we turn our attention to him, it's like he just lights up. Like he's been waiting and just saying, "Yeah, that's all I've been looking for. Just look at me." Yeah. It's so good. Somebody something I feel something going on in somebody's ears right now. Is there any like pain going on in anybody's ears? It just kept resonating. Is anything going on in anybody's ears right now? Any kind of pain or hearing loss? Ringing, ringing in the ears? Okay, good. Anybody else? What's that? Popping. It's popping in your ears. Yeah, good. Thank you, Emmy. <laughs> she knew what to do. She knew exactly what to do. I hope everybody took note of that. Everybody just extend your hands that way right there and just pray right now for absolute, complete release. No more popping, no more ringing, all of that stuff. That's right. Give them, give them the Holy Ghost whack right there. Put your hand on them. Just bless them. Yes, yes, God. Thank you for healing. Thank you. Thank you, Lord God, for healing. Thank you, Lord God, for healing. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. (laughs) Okay. All right, take your Bibles out. If you haven't already, turn to Psalm 95. We're blessed people, aren't we? half, Half of you in here believe that. We're blessed people, aren't we? We're privileged people. We get to carry the kingdom of God inside of us. The presence of Jesus himself. Aren't you thankful for that? That he's not out there and we're striving to try to get to him, but that he makes his home inside of us? Oh, yeah, Emmanuel, God with us. It's God in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Say that with me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now make it personal, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Yeah, how many want to see glory? How many want to be a glorious people? It's not about striving, about trying to get to it, about working our way up into heavenly realms. You're already there. Hello, you're already there. You're seated with him in heavenly places. It's not a positional truth, it's an actual reality. It's not a positional truth, it's an actual reality. We are so blessed, we're so privileged. No other religion can claim that God, creator, comes down inside of us, humbles himself to become a man, and then takes all of humanity into him and says, guess what, we get to be unified together. I think when Jesus prayed John 17, it actually happened. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should go take a look at it. I pray that, I, that they would be in me like I am in you, yeah. and us in each other. Oh, come on, that's good stuff right there. I don't think that's waiting to be fulfilled. It's happened. It's happened. We get all this stuff. We're such a privileged people. I think it's a good idea that we stay in thanksgiving and gratitude with the privileges that we've been given to. I want to talk this morning about, I titled this, The Familiar Enemy. The Familiar Enemy. Because if we don't stay in gratitude for what God has given to us, what God has done for us, Even the miracles, the signs, the wonders that we've seen. Has anybody seen miracles or signs in their life? Any time in their life? Let me see your hand. You've seen something that you can say, that was God showing up. Hold your hand up. I really want to see. All right, the majority of the people in here have that. That's something to hold on to. That's something to be thankful for. When we lose our gratitude over that, we become proud and judgmental. We do. We become proud and judgmental. Again, I call this the familiar enemy. It's not the enemy of Satan going around and trying to get us, even though he does that. But I don't know about you. I, I'm starting to discover that sometimes it's not the enemy coming in and tripping me up. I can do it by myself really well. And I'm discovering personally it's when I start getting very familiar with the miraculous and getting very familiar with God. Now, don't misunderstand me here. God wants intimacy with us. It's like a child and a father playing together. He wants that intimacy. So when I say familiar, I'm not talking about we get too close to God. I'm not saying that at all. I'm talking about you get so familiar with him that you don't even acknowledge him anymore. You get so familiar that it becomes so normal you don't even acknowledge it anymore. When you come in the room in here, I didn't see anybody inspect the chairs to see if they were going to hold them. They just sat down in them. Why? Because you're familiar With the chair. You know it's a chair. You're just going to sit down and hold it. I don't ever want to have that approach with Heavenly Father. I don't want to be that familiar that I just forget about who He is and what He does. I want to keep it in front of me all the time. I'm not really good at this. I'm getting better. But I really do believe the reason why I can get judgmental, the reason why I can get passive, filled with apathy, apathy, I can get proud is simply because I forget about the things that God has done. I forget about it. So I want to talk about that this morning based on what we see here in Psalm 95. It's, a, it's called a call to worship. I don't know how your Bibles are written. Mine has in the heading, a call to worship and obedience. And how many of you know obedience is not an outward working in? It's an inward working out. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Obedience is not something you just try to whip it up and decide you're going to do. True obedience happens from the inside out. It happens with the condition of the heart first that's why jesus came on the scene and he said to those who were trying to perform on the outside he said i'm not interested in that i'm more interested in the heart Mm -hmm. out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks right Mm -hmm. obedience is not something that we just go okay i got to be a better person and go try to do it no fall in love with jesus remind yourself of what he's already done in your life and obedience will flow from that it's called the obedience of faith not the obedience of works Mm -hmm. it's the obedience of faith I know our enemy is the devil. How many know that? In case you didn't know. Hello, the enemy is your devil. or The devil is your enemy. Our biggest enemy is the devil, but sometimes he's not even in the picture. Sometimes he's not even in the picture. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about mind games. And sometimes he's not even in the picture. He'll just deposit something into my thoughts and then take off and go mess with somebody else because he knows if I entertain the thought, I can tailspin and crash all on my own. He doesn't even need to be there. But I'm discovering it doesn't even have to do all the time with my thoughts. When I get into a place of being unthankful, where there's no gratitude in my heart anymore, when I start feeling places of entitlement, when I start feeling like I've gotten a hold of something in the scripture, and I know something, Those are very dangerous places to be. Entitlement, lack of gratitude, and unrenewed thinking. Three things I've identified so far. Not being thankful, entitlement, and unrenewed thinking. Those are very dangerous places to live. And as I grow in the Lord, I find that (laughs) this is something I actually like. The more I understand and, and get the revelation of who Jesus is and Christ in you, the hope of glory, the less I think about the devil. Hello? Come on, this will do our charismatic church some good here. We spend a lot of time looking for the devil. We do. We spend a lot of time looking for the devil. Something happens that may be outside of our grid of understanding. What's one of the first things we do? Start looking for the devil. Come on, are you with me? You understand what I'm talking about? Has anybody been somewhere where you've experienced something supernatural and your mind immediately starts going to, oh, that does, I don't know, that's uncomfortable. I wonder if Satan's in that right there. Listen, if there were a contest on weird between God and Satan, God would win hands down. (laughs) Seriously. Look at all the miraculous things that happened in Scripture. God wins hands down. Hands down. All Satan can do is mimic. He's not a creator. He's a created being. He can't create anything. All he can do is mimic. I'm just saying, I, I, I I read a lot of books. I read a whole lot of books and I read a lot of books in the charismatic realm and some of them are very painful. They're painful because they're always finding the devil under every rock. I'm like, how painful is that? How sad is that to find the de- It's like, I like what Bill Johnson says. He goes, listen, I'm not looking for the devil. I've got my sight set on God. But if he gets in my crosshairs, I'm pulling the trigger. I'll pull the trigger, but I'm not out hunting him. I'm looking for what God is doing. I'm looking for something greater. I've experienced, I've tasted, and I've seen, but there's got to be something greater. Is anybody with me? How many of you in here have a desire for something more? Yeah. I do. I have a desire for something more, even though I've tasted and seen some pretty miraculous stuff. I was sitting with someone this week that was asking me specifically, asking me about stories in my past and in my history. Tell me about that. Tell me what happened. Tell me, tell me when you saw God show up. What, did it, what changed? And I was telling them a, a couple of instances in my life where there were some pretty miraculous things happening, where people were getting healed like with ease. Have you ever been around it where it's just people get healed with ease? That kind of like the atmosphere of the Lord? I was specifically talking about something that happened with us back in 08 and how stage four cancer was getting healed. People with crushed feet, seeing them get healed right there in the room. People who, a guy specifically fell off a ladder, crushed his foot, couldn't walk, praying for him as a group. I think we were all praying as a group. Ended up running around the room like nothing had ever happened. Mm -hmm. Literally running around the room. I look at that kind of stuff and I'm like, God, this is so good. Doesn't that excite you to hear about stuff like that? Well, here's what I'm discovering. That as soon as I cease to be thankful for that, and as soon as I cease to keep my mind set on those kinds of things, I go into entitlement, self-introspection, fear, doubt, complaining, because I could become too familiar with it. It's like, yeah, I know, I know. I know what happened. I know what happened over there. I hope you guys are tracking with me here. Yeah. I know. I, I remember. Yeah, that was God. I know. It's pretty awesome. He does things like that. Here in Psalm 95, the writer is saying to everyone reading this, whoever's reading this, which would include you and I right now, he's recalling what happened with the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And it says this in verse Psalm 95. Beginning in verse 8, it says, Today, if you will hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation, and I said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore on my wrath they will not enter my rest. Hebrews chapter 3 refers to this. When he's speaking to Hebrews, everybody, if you've been here long enough, what is it about Hebrews? Hebrews was written to the Hebrews to tell the Hebrews to stop living like Hebrews. <laughs> These, Hebrews was written for that sole purpose. It was written to the Jewish people who had tasted of the things of God, but who kept going back into law systems. That's why the entire three, first three into four chapters, of that thing, he's dealing with sacrificial set up the person of Jesus. He starts by even saying Jesus is the express representation of God himself. So all of you who love God, all you Jewish people who love God, understand that Jesus is the express representation of him and all through the book of Hebrews it describes shows how he is the fulfillment of all the things. Everything else was a type and a shadow. He is the f- fulfillment of it. In Hebrews chapter 3 it says this. Same passage of scripture. I'm going to read out of the message translation says, today, please listen, don't turn a deaf ear as in the bitter uprising. Isn't that interesting? God refers to the 40 years in the wilderness as the rebellion and the bitter uprising. Think about this in context for a moment. The 40 years in the wilderness, what were they seeing? Day after day after day, miracles. Don't have food? Boom, manna. Need more food? You want meat? Boom, Quail. You need water, bam, strike the rock, water comes out. Miracle after miracle, and on top of all that, God says, I'm going to guide you with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now think about this. You're out in the wilderness. Your clothes aren't wearing out. They aren't. Word says that. Their clothes never wore out. They're not wearing it. Their clothes aren't wearing out. They're intense. They're moving with this cloud. Sometimes the cloud would stay in a place for a long time, and then it would up and move. And here's the people the whole time. Oh God, we're eating manna again? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about this. You ought to try this tomorrow when you get up, go outside and see if there's manna all over the ground for you to eat. Freak you out if there was, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? They're seeing it every day. Every day they wake up. Oh, I gotta go get the manna God supplied. <laughs> oh, those quail, let me go get the quail, the water. Oh, that cloud's moving again. Dang, I gotta pack up my tent i got to move now. This is what was happening. And Jesus, or God calls it the rebellion. That's kind of scary, isn't it? All that that they're seeing. Let me go on to read this more further. That time of wilderness testing, even though they watched me at work for 40 years, your ancestors ancestors refused to let me do it my way. Over and over, they tried my patience. And I was provoked. Oh, so provoked. <laughs> I said, they'll never keep their minds on God. What I just read, it said, their hearts. The problem is in their hearts. They refused to walk down my road. Exasperated, I vowed, they'll never get to where they're going. They'll never be able to sit down and rest. Isn't it something about the striving of man that keeps us from recognizing the miraculous happening around us? and the satisfaction that we have in him. Now, I see this from where we are in history right now, looking backwards, like I know everything and I don't. But think about this for a moment. Here they are in the wilderness, 40 years, wandering around. Everything is provided for them. Everything is provided for them. And all they do is complain and whine. You should have left us, left us in Egypt. It would have been better if we died there than died out here in the wilderness forgetting that their clothes aren't wearing out, that there's ultimate provision for them wherever they go. And he says to them, you'll never enter my rest. You're never going to get where you're going like that. Church, might I suggest that when we become too familiar with the things of God, the things that should change our minds about him and about us and about people around us, when we become so familiar with that kind of stuff that God is just simply saying, stop it. Stop your striving. You can't find the ultimate thing that you want. When I asked you earlier how many want more, nearly everybody said, Yeah, I want more. Well, do you think God's holding it back? Mm-hmm. Do you think God is sitting there going, Ha 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 no, nope. nope. <laughs> you want more? Nope. <laughs> how many parents do we have in here? How many of you would ever say to your children if they came to you and said, I'm hungry, I want something to eat? No. Sorry. Sorry, you're going to have to work a little harder to get that. None of us would do that. But somehow we give attributes like that to our Heavenly Father. He's not doing that. I think what keeps us from getting the more is when we become way too familiar with what we have. Way too familiar with what we have. I'm going to read verse 9 and 10 again. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. Psalm 103, it's a wonderful psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. It goes on to say that he's the God that heals all your diseases, forgives all your iniquities, right? goes on naming these things, these wonderful attributes of God, and I think it's around 7 or 8, verse 7 or 8 in there, it says, it says this, it's a strange little thing. It says, Moses or Israel knew his acts, Moses knew his ways. Israel knew his acts, Moses knew his ways. It's very similar to what we hear here, verse 10. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. Do you think they knew his acts? Every one of them could account what God had done. They could, get, they could write it down and say, yeah, when we went here, we got to this big fat ocean-like thing and we couldn't get through. Egyptians were coming after us and then boom, poof, water parted. We went through it. And then after that, we complained a little bit and we're thirsty and then Moses hits this rock with a stick and all of a sudden water starts gushing out. Now think about this, guys. This wasn't like a little trickle. This was millions of people this had to have been a torrent, a river that came out of that rock. Yeah, he did that, and then we were hungry, and he made... See, they knew his acts, but they never knew his ways. Psalm 103 says, Moses, or they, his people of Israel knew his acts, Moses knew his ways. I'm, I'm thinking that there's something in the miraculous, there's something in the supernatural that God wants to reveal to us that's even deeper than what we've ever experienced. How many in here as parents would like it if your children said, of you? Yeah, I know what my parents do, but I don't really know who they are. My my parents take care of me. They give me food, they give me shelter, they buy me clothes, but I don't really know who they are. That's terrible, isn't it? None of us as parents would want that. I don't think the Father wants that for us either. I think with every miracle, with every supernatural act, what he's wanting to reveal is not just his goodness, but beyond that, he's wanting to reveal his character and nature. This is why I think the older I get, the more I'm interested in one thing, just people encountering God, people encountering God. I can tell you about my own personal encounters, and it might be a good testimony for you, but really, it, it's lacking. There's not really anything in that for you. Testimonies are good, right? If I tell you how I've encountered God, it's encouraging and stuff, but listen, testimonies are are not there to show you process. They're there to show you the outcome. Every testimony. Come on, you're, you're with me. How many in here have prayed for somebody and you've seen them healed or you've been prayed for and you've been healed? Let me see your hand. Okay, every time you speak of that or somebody else speaks of that, it's not to show someone the process to follow in order to get to that. It's to show them the outcome itself. It's to show them that, look, this is God. This is who he is. This is what he does. How many in here would say, I've done that enough in my life where I've prayed for people, I've prophesied over people, I've, I've seen enough of God showing up that it has become part of who I am because I just know that he's good and that he's never bad. Does that make sense? I, I have. I, I just know for me it looks like this. I have zero problem praying for somebody who's sick and absolutely believing for 100% healing. Now, in my natural man, sometimes I waver a little bit, but I know I've settled the issue. I used to be so worried about what people might think if I pray for someone and they don't get healed. I don't even care about that stuff anymore. I am so concerned with somebody encountering God. I'm not trying to pump my own tires here. I hope you're tracking with me. I'm so interested in people encountering God that I'm willing to risk it and look like an idiot. Anybody want to be like that with me? I know as our students do because we have not do it all the time. I believe we are designed to live in an ongoing manifestation of miracles, of, of the supernatural. I believe it's what we're created for. But I don't want to be like Israel. I don't want to be like those who saw it all the time and got so familiar with it that they, they lost track of who they are, they lost track of who God is. They lost track of their purpose. This thing of familiarity is our enemy. It keeps us from the highest reality, and the highest reality is knowing God. It's knowing God. When you look throughout even the Old Testament, you see times where Elijah, Elisha, went outside of the people of Israel and did miracles. And I think the reason why they did that is because God so much wanted to reveal his heart. He so much wanted to reveal it through the people of Israel. That's what he wanted. Remember, he says, I'm choosing all of you guys. I want you guys. I want you to be my representation to the entire planet. This is what I want. And they tweak that a little bit by their decisions. But ultimately, he says, I'm choosing you as a people. They decided to not stay in that love affair with him. Oh, I just thought of something. This whole thing is a love affair, right? Mm-hmm. With Jesus, it is. In Song of Solomon, have you heard that passage? It says, don't, don't awaken love before it's time. Yeah. And how many times have we used that for our teenage kids and say, don't awaken love before it's time? <laughs> Did you know that's not what it's talking about? It's not. That don't awaken love before it's time, is he's saying, you're designed to be in a dreamy, love encounter with God. Don't ever wake up from that. Don't awaken love before it's time. Don't come out of that dream. Don't come out of that connection. Don't come out of that intimacy. You're designed to stay there. Isn't that awesome? This is what we're designed for. He chose the people of Israel for that. They got so familiar with the things of God and the acts of God, so familiar with it that he could not then represent himself accurately in the earth and his heart is so much to do that. So he takes his prophets who hear God, send them outside of Israel, encounters the widow who needs food, Gives her the, 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 the assignment, go collect as many barrels as you can, right? And the oil kept flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing. Naaman, remember Naaman? This guy was really an enemy of Israel. But God heals him of leprosy. Why? Because God wants to do that. I don't want to be a person who gets so familiar with the things of God that it no longer can become, that it can come through me anymore. What am I getting at? I'm, I'm, this is kind of a part two of last week's message on just staying hungry. Because when, no, when you're not hungry, that usually means you're sick in the natural, right? When you don't eat, it usually means there's something going on in here. How many of you, like when you have the flu or something, all you want to do is eat filet mignon? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's so good, but I'm, I'm using that because that's like, that's like one of my favorite things is like that filet mignon. Yeah. Let's just ponder that for a moment. (laughs) But I know when I've had the flu, man, you don't want to eat. So not being hungry is a sign of something not being right on the inside. It's the same thing in the spiritual. When we're not hungry for the things of God, that means something's not right on the inside. Our spirit man is not at the front like it should be. Our soul man is. I don't mean to separate them like that. I'm just saying, I don't know about you. I want to be hungry. I don't want to have God go somewhere else and work through somebody else when he wants to do it through me, but he can't do it through me because I'm so familiar. going, yeah, you do those kinds of things. Is this making sense? In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus, we talked about Old Old Testament prophets, even happened with Jesus. He says in Matthew chapter 11, he says of three cities, he says, woe to you. Everybody say, woe. Woe. Whoa, dude. <laughs> he says if, if, if the works had been that were done with you were done entire in Sidon, there would be no judgment. If the works that had been done with you had been done in Sodom, there wouldn't have been need for judgment. Paraphrasing it. Here are the people of God who have God himself. Now he shows up in physical form. He shows up in physical form, and they still are so familiar with their own understanding of God, they don't get it when he's on the scene. They don't get it. They don't Him. All that he's doing, all that he's saying, he's standing there doing it all the time. In John chapter 5, the Pharisees are really ticked at him. Sadducees, they are really upset with him. And he tells them like it is. Don't you love that? <laughs> Tells him like it is. He goes, listen, you guys, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And those same scriptures are the ones that testify of me, but you're not willing to come to me. That's right. yeah. Why? Familiar. We know what God looks like. We know what God looks like, and you're not it. What does that look like for us? I know what God looks like, and that's not it. I personally have experienced, you can call it revival, you can call it awakening, you can call it renewal, you can call it whatever you want. I mean, in a church congregation, not just personally, I've experienced it, and I know why it stopped. Because people were standing around going, that's not God. I think I mentioned this last week, that manna literally means What is it? And God feeds you with that, and it satisfies you, but yet we still tend to look at it and go, what is it? What is it? So God shows up. God wants to bring revival. God wants to bring renewal, and people are getting fed. People are getting satisfied more than they ever have, and then somebody's going to stand there and go, what is that? Does that make sense? I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. I know any time I've encountered God, any time I've experienced God, listen. It always blows up your theological grid. Always does. Why do you think the people there, the religious leaders who had, by the way, take Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, okay? Take those books right there, the first five books of the Bible, and just realize that the Pharisees had that memorized. They knew it. You ever seen pictures of Jewish schools where they're memorizing scripture and they're sitting there rocking back and forth doing that? Why are they doing it? They're memorizing scripture. They have this down, man. It's not like they didn't know the scripture up here. They knew it. But Jesus comes on the scene, John 5, and he says, you search those things. You search those things thinking that there you have eternal life. And those things are the ones that testify of me, but you don't want me when I show up on the scene. Why? It's outside my grid. You're so familiar with God that you don't recognize it when it shows up. John the Baptist shows up on the scene. I'm a little out of chronological order here. I just want to throw this in there. John the Baptist shows up on the scene. We all know he's the precursor, the leader, the breaker, the the one that opens for the person of Jesus, right? We all know that about John the Baptist. He comes on the scene and starts to tell them all about Jesus, preparing the way. They don't want to have anything to do with him either. Who's that weirdo? Wears strange clothes and he eats weird food. He doesn't look anything like us. How can that possibly be? He brings the message of repentance. And what does repentance mean, church? Yeah. They don't want to see it. They don't want to see it any different. Jesus follows right after them. And he says, listen, even right now, the thing that you think you know, God is laying the ax to the root of the trees. Remember when he said that? Even now, I'm laying the axe to the root of the trees. What is he doing? He's going, I'm cutting off that old, religious, climb up into God way of thinking. Cutting that stuff off right now. You gotta repent. You gotta change the way you see this entire thing. Proverbs 27, 7. Do we have that one? A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. I'm not making it up. It's right there, church. A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. Now, I don't know if you're a big fan of honey and honeycomb and all that kind of stuff, but you get the point here. It's sweet. It's good. It's desirable. This was their sugar before we processed it, (laughs) okay? (laughs) This This is putting sugar in your coffee kind of thing, but, you know, before. This is sweet. This is good. This is candy. This is dessert. And it says, a satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. Come on, are you feeling this this morning? A satisfied soul loathes the very thing that is so good. Why? Because it's familiar. I know it. I'm full already. I don't need anything. But to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. I don't know how to bring people to a place where everything changes. I don't know. I've said before in here, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm not your master. As a matter of fact, even pastorally, Psalm 23, it's one of the best pastoral psalms there is, right? It even says there, he leads me by still waters, makes me lie down in green pastures. I can't, I can't even feed you. That is not my job even to feed you. I can take you to a place where you can eat yourself, but it's not my job to feed you. That's a personal responsibility that all of us have, to be able to desire something and go after it and get it. Does that make sense? How many have ever heard things like this? Oh yeah, I wasn't getting fed at that church. I have people say that to me, I wasn't getting fed there. Man, do you know how to lift a fork? (laughs) Seriously, I mean, do you go to church and go, ah, No food. <laughs> Do you know how to lift a fork? Do you know how to pick one of these things up? Do you know how to look inside of it? Do you know how to be okay with not understanding it, but recognizing that that is the words of life, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life? I'm telling you, there are things I read in here I still don't understand. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even come close to making sense to me. I have zero grasp on some of the things in the scripture, but I know when I read it, it feels good. It just feels good. I will sit down and read this thing with no agenda on trying to comprehend it. I'll sit down and read through it just because I know it feels good inside. You ever try that? Take something really difficult and try to read it out of Scripture. I, I don't know. Don't look for the understanding. Look for what it does inside of you. I know this to be true for me personally. The more I read this, I'm not st- talking about studying it. I'm talking about the more I just read it, just to read it, the more hungry I get. Because I start to taste something and go, that's really good. I don't know what that is, but that's really good there. That's really good. I like that. And it's, it, for people like me, it's a dangerous thing because I'm a pastor, right? I study. I read in order to preach the word. This is what I'm called to do. It's a thing that God's put on me and others to do, but there's a real inherent danger in it too. Uh, Let's see if I could be very more direct with this. Don't prostitute me. Don't pay me to be intimate with God. Go after yourself. I can't make you get hungry. I can't. I wish I knew how to do that. I, I really do. I wish I knew how to make people get hungry, but there's no way to do it. What I do know is through experience with God, and it's just a limited experience in some respects, I know this, that when God shows up and encounters people and people experience that, they get hungry. They get really hungry. You hear us talking here all the time about encountering God. How many want to encounter God? How many lovers of Jesus do we have in here? It's just language that I use, but I'm like, I... I want to know how many in here really have tasted and seen, and they're going, man, that honey tastes good. I don't want to refer to it as loathsome. I don't want that to become loathsome to me. I don't want to become so full and so familiar with the things of God that I can taste something, see and see something that God is doing and go, yeah, that's kind of cool. I want it to get my interest and go, man, there's got to be more there. What is that? Something just felt really good about that. Yeah. The challenge, even when we have breakthrough, the challenge with any breakthrough is that it creates Christian activity every time. I can look back on when we started seeing a move of God in our own personal lives in our church in Nashville. It created Christian activity. And I'm not saying that Christian activity is bad. I'm just saying a move of God will always change something and move a b- get a ball rolling. But we have to be careful because even that Christian activity distracts us from, more, distracts us from the more breakthrough. What, do I, what am I talking about? I think I've shared this story before. It's really, it was an awesome time. We come into worship. God had been showing up like crazy. I'm hoping this is like wetting your appetite for something. God had been showing up like crazy in church. And every pastor's dream is for people to come in and just excited and be like, "Woo! let's do this, come on, where's God? It was like that. It was like that. I could come in and be like, ah. There's no working, no striving here. I can come in here and people come in the door going, what's gonna happen? what's going to happen in here. I know every time I come in here, something happens and God moves. It was that kind of atmosphere that was going. Does that sound exciting to you guys? It was so fun. My wife can testify to it. It was like, we were like going, what are you, what are you, what are you? I don't even know what's going on here. (laughs) I I don't understand this. I I know that this is God, but this is so weird, so strange. I've never seen anything like this. People were coming in with this expectancy, this heightened sense of like, God's going to move. God's going to do something. And I remember the worship leader going up on stage, and we're all talking and stuff, and he gets our attention, and he goes like this. (laughs) He plays one chord, and the whole room went. (laughs) You could hear a pin drop in the room. I don't even recall exactly what happened after that. All I know is within a few minutes, there was bodies all over the floor. Bill calls it collateral blessing. Bodies all over the floor. I mean, people's heads on other people's butts, laying there like this. Like, <laughs> I remember my wife looking up at one point. She's on the floor. She looks over, another person's on the floor, and she's like, "Hi, who are you? I've never seen you before." Hi, it's our first time here. We're, you know, <laughs> seriously, like first time visitors on the floor, like, just out. You know, you could feel the presence of God. It was so tangible, so weighty, so heavy, but not in a sense of like morbid. It was this joyous, wonderful, expectant kind of, oh, God, what are you doing? I really enjoyed that because I like awkward. I think I, think I like really love awkward. I, I just, I like awkward silence. <laughs> Does anybody like that kind of stuff or am I just weird? <laughs> no, you don't, nobody likes It's funny, Even It's funny to sit in a conversation. I, I like this. I'll sit in a conversation with two, three, four, five people and just kind of observe. And you have that, what they call the seven-minute lull. Or about every seven minutes on average that goes down to where nobody's talking. And then somebody's just, somebody has to do it because they can't stand it. Oh, you know what? La, 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 about this. And they start talking and they break it. I'm like, this awkwardness is really cool. Well, it was that kind of awkwardness that was happening in the church. Really strange kind of awkward. Like, I think I remember standing up on the platform one point going, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Is that real edifying for you guys to hear me say that? What if I were to come up here every week and just stand here and go, guys, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. What do we usually do? We run back to religious activity because it's what we know. Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. Boom. Takes his favorite friends up there, Jesus. Takes his favorite friends up on top of the mountain. He had favorites. He did. John was his favorite. And John knew it. But he writes about himself in third person. The disciple whom Jesus loved. (laughs) He does. John, he says that. And he's writing of himself. The disciple whom Jesus loved. (laughs) He takes them, Peter, James, and John, takes them up on the mountain. Here's Jesus, turns into a glow worm. Boom! Everything's white. Everything's glowing. It's just like this miraculous, like all of a sudden there's two (laughs) suns. This crazy thing happening and then all of a sudden, what does Peter do? Let's build tabernacles! Yeah. Yeah. For us, it looks a little bit different. When the presence of God shows up and it's that kind of profound, like everybody in the room knows God is here, it's not like you have to have faith to know this. It's like, so what do we do? Oh, God's healing people. Let's go after healing. Oh, let's 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 pray for, let's pray for breakthrough in this area. Or let's do that. Sometimes it's those religious activities that keep us because we're so familiar that keep us from really encountering God and what He really really wants to do in the moment. But we don't like awkward silence. We don't like the seven-minute lull. We want to get busy. These little Christian activity. Come on, let's do something here. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Are you with me? It's that kind of like you're so familiar with God, you kind of know what he's doing before you even ask him. Instead of taking the time to sit there and be really awkward and uncomfortable long enough to be able to hear and go, oh, that's it. That's it. I'm one of those worship leaders when I lead. I'm like, I'm so not afraid of awkward silence. I'm so not afraid of that. We could be doing worship, and I I get to points at times, not all the time, get to points where it's just like, you know, you just need to shut your mouth and just stay there. But even our Christian activity for us worship leaders says to the band, keep playing. (laughs) Keep playing, band. Because we don't like it to be totally silent because that's way too awkward. You guys hear where I'm going. I, I'm, what am I trying to do this morning? I want us to shift our thinking. I want us to come out of any kind of sense of familiarity we have with God and come back to a place of going, I don't care how awkward it gets. I don't care how weird, how uncomfortable I feel. I don't care how even weird manifestations start to happen. I've seen weird manifestations, guys. Weird, weird manifestations. I've seen people shake, fall on the floor, scream. Yell, laugh. Would that make you uncomfortable if that happened in here? It's happened a few times. <laughs> I, in my old days, let me just put this into context. In my old days, before I really had that kind of encounter with God that blew up my box, in the old days, I would have been, as a pastor, very restrictive on trying to control and keep everything. Because after all, the Word says, First Corinthians 14, I know it. God is the God of order. He does everything decently and in order. I think I had the decency and in an order badge. I was the designated God given official for decency and order. I'm gonna keep it clean and in order. Because anything that doesn't fit my sense of order is not God. How that work for you? Well, some of you know. I'm just, I don't know. I don't want to become so familiar. I don't, want to give my, I don't want my head to be in a place where I'm like, I know what God does. I know what he does. I know how he works. I know he puts out manna every morning. Bam, bam, bam. Gives us quail, gives us water, does all this stuff. work. I don't want to become so familiar with that. I want my heart to remain in a place of gratitude. What does that practically look like for us? I've been giving you homework lately. Mm-hmm. You want some more homework? Yeah. Go home and write down what you're thankful for when it comes to places in your life where God has showed up, either in your life or people around you that you love, write down what you're thankful for. God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. A little over a year and a half ago, my wife and I went out to Bethel in California, and we went out there for some training, but we decided to do their healing rooms and just to experience it more than anything, But how many in here would say, man, I got something wrong in my body? It may not be major, but I got something wrong in my body right now, okay? I do. There's always something. I've always got a pretty consistent back pain right there in my lower hip. I've got something that's just pretty consistent. Everybody's got something. I go into that thing, and you could feel the expectancy. It was just, you know, you start by going into a place where you fill out a form, actually writing down your name and your information and what's wrong with you. And the reason why they want that is so they can collect it because they know people are going to get healed and they want the testimony written down. So we go in there, and we're waiting, we're waiting, and they call you in in these stages in groups, and our group finally got called. The first place we went to was a hallway. They had chairs set up in this really wide hallway, and we all sat down, and we're waiting. But they're not looking at it like, oh, well, the ultimate healing is going to happen in this special location in this one room. They start giving testimonies right there of people who have been healed, and you can feel it starting to build. Everybody's just sitting there. And I think even in the hallway, somebody says, oh, wait, somebody got a word of knowledge and said, hey, I think this right here, and somebody's going to get healed. And people were standing up in the hallway and getting prayed for right there. We go from that into another room, which was set up much like this one, where somebody comes up there and explains to you what they're going to do in the healing room and explains healing in general and just gives you the basics and says God doesn't give sickness, God doesn't give disease. That would be a very maniacal father. Why do we tell? Why don't we make things up like that? It doesn't make any sense to me. Why does God allow those things to happen? We have an adversary, you know. <laughs> God isn't the cause of everything bad <laughs> in the earth. You know, he does things, the Satan does things. God is good. So they start to explain it. And even in the room, they start praying for people. Now, I had some bad pain in my feet. My arches had been hurting for a long, 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 long time. I had put special things in my shoes to try to help the pain and stuff. And I also had this, like, a sty on my eye. I could feel it whenever I turned my eye and my eyelid. And I'm standing there, and I don't even remember asking for it. All of a sudden, the pain in my feet went away, and that thing in my eye quit. It went away. Just standing in the room right there. Nobody was paying, praying for me. Oh, yeah, come on! <laughs> I got one. I'm gonna talk to you for a while, Trish. <laughs> All of a sudden, it went away, and I'm just, and then they wanted to move us into another room, and I'm going, "Oh, uh-uh, I'm staying right here. <laughs> This felt too good. All of a sudden, you know that pain has never come back in my feet, and that thing that my eye has never come back ever Yay! since then. We finally go into another room, which was the main room. They had a bunch of artists in the center of this big room, all facing each other and doing paintings. They had dancers. They had worship going on. It was just this wonderful, glorious atmosphere. But even that wasn't the healing room yet. All they're doing is soaking you in this expectation. They finally take you into the healing room part where you sit down and you're waiting for someone in uh, a whole big area up there they are praying for people just to come grab you and take you up there and pray for you. Now, at this point, I'm sitting there and I'm waiting, and these two young boys, like 16, 17 years old, come up and grab me. And I was just enamored at the fact that there's these two young teenage boys that are giving their Saturday to come in here and pray for people. I was blown away by that. And I get up there with them and said, this is what was wrong, but there's nothing wrong with me now. It's not hurting anymore. It's gone. You've got healed back in there. And So they just agreed with me. We wrote the things down. It was so wonderful, so beautiful. I've heard other testimonies about that same healing room. One in particular was someone who came in with brain cancer. Goes into that healing room. You, you guys like this stuff? Yes. Isn't this exciting? What am I trying to do? I'm trying to wet your appetite for something. I'm trying to get us out of the familiarity thing. A woman who has brain cancer goes into that room where the art was happening and walks up to one of the pictures and had seen where one of the artists had just done in a really creative way, had written the word hope, and just stood there. Just stood there looking at it, began to cry. Something began to move her. All of a sudden, something began to leak out of her ear. She leaves there, goes to her doctor, and brain cancer is (laughs) gone. Come on, that's a good word. (laughs) I don't want to just talk about things like that because that's what God does. I don't want to become so familiar that I lose my expectancy for that kind of stuff that I, I, I lose the fact that it's like, this is what God does. It's not what God can do. It's what God does. This is what he does. I'm not going to live my life trying to build doctrines and theologies on why people don't get healed. I can't find that in scripture. I can't find anywhere in scripture why people don't get healed. I can glean from it and recognize that it's the ones who really don't see Jesus for who he is or whatever, but I I can't do that. I can't build theologies on why people don't get healed and why people don't get saved. All I know is I have a direct command from my Savior. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Make disciples. And there's no qualifiers there. Ah, God help us. Last thing here. I know we're getting late. I don't care. Psalm 51. Psalm 51. David. Oh, gosh. He writes this psalm right after Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, you bad, bad boy. You killed a man. You took his wife. Bathsheba, you know the story. David sits down. And he writes that. Psalm 51, he writes, he says, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I believe the reason why he wandered into what he wandered into is because he forgot the joy of his salvation. He forgot, he became so familiar with the things of God. He had everything, and he became so familiar with it that his heart just wandered into something else because he was too satisfied. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. You want some homework? Do that. Mm-hmm. Start saying, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Let me not forget the moment you showed up and you, y- you didn't yank me out of sin. You yanked sin out of me. Yes. Oh, God, restore to me. Everybody stand up here. Come on, hold your hands out here. I'm going to pray for you. Restore. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, Lord. Coming up, If we're being honest, we know what it feels like to wander. We know what it feels like to get so familiar with stuff. Lord, I don't ever want to become so familiar with you and who you are that I forget how wonderful and awesome you are. Lord, I want my life to be an ongoing testimony of your goodness. I don't want you to have to go outside of me and work in somebody else because I'm too familiar with you. Yes, God. Just right now, let Holy Spirit speak to you, okay? We're going to just be silent. Let Holy Spirit speak to you specifically about places you become familiar. Not in a condemning way. What he's wanting to do is just remind you of how awesome he is. Just put your hand on the person next to you. We need each other with this. We need help. This is a family. It's what Danielle was talking about. Just this family, father, visitation, oneness, together, a union. We saw it this morning with the ring, just the whole unity thing. Putting your hands on each other right now, I want you to pray for your neighbor and say, God, remind them. Remind them. Remind that person of when you showed up. Lord, make that so real. Burn it into their memory so it's impossible to forget it. Pray these kinds of prayers. God, burn it into their psyche. Burn it into their soul so much that it becomes a lens through which they see the rest of their life. Come on, pray for them. Pray out loud. God, get them. If you don't know what else to pray, just pray that. God, get them. Get them. Get them good. Get them. God, get them. Whack them. Whack them with goodness, with kindness. Lord, show them. Open their eyes to see the angels that follow them around, those two angels that are called mercy and goodness that follow me all the days of my life. Remind them, Lord God. Remind them of the things that they've forgotten, Lord. Remind them of the things that they've seen but just pushed aside and become too familiar with. I don't want to live with a familiar enemy. I don't want to live with a familiar enemy. Mm, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right, how many are with me? How many want to stay hungry? How many want to have that kind of perspective in life where everything you see is a potential place for God to show up? All right, if you're clapping in agreement, let me just warn you. The minute you walk out that door, you're going to find it and you'll have a choice to make. I'm serious. The minute you walk out the door, you will find the opportunity for God to show up, and you have a choice to make right there. How hungry are you? All right. Prayer teams, go ahead and make your way up here. We're going to dismiss you, but you can come up for prayer if you need anything. Uh, they're here for you and want to do that. So, Lord, bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you amen. and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.